This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. We're so glad to have you back. We're so glad to have you watching online. And someone asked me, so are you ever going to get back to normal, Alan? I, I believe we're going to get back to normal. It's just going to be a different looking normal. And, uh, but we are getting back. It's good to be back together again. Worship is definitely a different experience. Someone told me, it's, 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 they said it's a little strange when you're in your living room with your hands lifted up, but hey, it's, it's different here. But we're glad that you could do it. We've been doing a series on, on the resistance, and I want to continue that this morning. And uh, as, we're, as we're talking, I have to get used to actually having people over here and here and here, because the only people I've ever had just, has been straight ahead. I've gained weight because I don't move around near as much as I used to. <laughs> the, uh, when, when I, uh, my, my family knows this, I, uh, I'm not good with my hands. I always admire people who can build stuff, people who can, can work with their hands. We, we have uh, uh, Chris Fox, one of our associate ministers. I mean, he's like, he built stuff. They got a new baby coming, and he built like Chester, Chester drawers and stuff for the, for the baby. And then we have Tyler merging. We, we call him MacGyver because he can, he can those who anybody remember MacGyver, he can, he can fix anything. And I, I can fix nothing. Uh, Joy is actually much better at her hands than I am. And Matt's the best. Matt never reads the directions, but he usually figures it out. It's, it's, he, he's good with his hands. Whenever I have to do something, even basic, with my hands, I really have to psych myself into it. I mean, I, I really have to gear up, and then I'm so proud of myself if, like, I change a light bulb or something. But I am, I, I get, I, I don't like doing it because, quite honestly, I don't got it. I, that's bad English, but I don't got it. I, I, I'm not good there. You know, it's interesting when I talk to people and we talk about resisting, and we talk, we've talked about resisting the evil that's out there. We've talked about resisting the negativity. We're talking about resisting the spiritual forces as things have shifted in our nation. When we talk about that, there's a, a, a challenge that I see with many people who feel like, in essence, I don't got it. I don't really have what it takes to be able to do that. And Alan, I know you can, and Joy, and, and some super spiritual people can, but I don't know so much about me. Now, maybe that's not you, but a lot of people I talk to, it is. So let me, let me refute that this morning, because you do got it. And I'm going I'm to show you how really a lot of what boils down to a lot of life and a lot of our spiritual life is simply making choices. And that's why we've called this, this message powerful choices. So we're going to talk about some of those, give you some choices that you can make, because you got a lot more than you think you do. What's happened oftentimes is life has happened. So that's, that's why young people are so excited. You know, young people, they're, they're so excited because, man, they have, they, they're looking forward to life, and life is out there, and I think it's a great, up, you know, when you see young couples, and they're like, we're man, we're going to get married. It's going to be awesome. We never argue. It's just so great, and we're just so in love. And, and you resist the urge to go, <laughs> just wait. No, you don't say that. You, you don't say that, but th there's often life experiences haven't tainted them, and especially the negative ones. You know, maybe you lost something or a relationship, someone that was, that was valuable to you. And that can taint you. Maybe you've had a, a, a pattern, maybe in certain areas where it's just been defeat after defeat after defeat, and that can taint you. Maybe it's 
a situation where on your road to success, you keep having to take detours. And that's tainted your perspective. And so what happens is the conclusion is people feel like, I don't have a lot of options. It, uh, you know, it's, that's just, the hear people say, well, that's, that's just the way it is. Or the very profound, it is what it is. Have you ever thought about how profound that is? It is what it is. I know we think we sound deep when we say it, but we don't sound deep. We sound stupid. It is what it is. is, a, is a, we've come to a conclusion that there are no options. But let me help you with that. With God, there's always options. With God, all things, all things become possible. And so if you've thrown up your hands and said, well, you know what, Alan, I, I don't have what it takes. I don't know that I'm able to do this. I got news for you. You do have what it takes and you can do this. You're just going to have to make some different choices. When God was speaking through, uh, through Moses to the people, he says this in Deuteronomy. He said, I call heaven and earth as a witness today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So God said, I'm going to give you a choice here. He said, I'm, you got blessing on this side, you got cursing on this side. He said, life and death. And then he gives us a hint. He said, choose life. Make the right decision. Choose life. How do I choose life? When I choose God's ways, I choose life. And that begins to open up a path that has hope in it. And when I go that direction, then options become available. And I realize, hey, wait a minute. I, I can do this. I can resist the enemy. I can, I can do something different here. Things don't have to remain the same. It is what it is, does not have to pertain to me. I can choose life, and in choosing life, it gives me the ability to resist anything the enemy brings my way. Many of you have, have heard my story where years ago in the late 80s, Joy and I went to my hometown to start a church. It was one of the, the it, was, it was a textbook example of how to miss God on every area. I didn't talk to anybody, didn't get good counsel. You know, you know it, I found something about good counsel. Good counsel are, are really only going to confirm in you what you already know in your heart. And if you get good counsel, I, 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 never, I went, never went and talked to Pastor Osteen. He was my pastor at the time, John Osteen. And uh, I didn't go talk to him. And my wife said, you going to go talk to him? I said, no. She said, why? I said, I know what God told me. Those are always kind of like last words. Not like, hey, y'all, watch this. Those are last words. Um, no, I know what God told me, so I just, I went. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was horrible. It, 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 it really was. We had no praise and worship. We're in a dark paneled room. It had dark paneling. I mean, this place, it was a Howard Johnson's motor. And remember the ones with the roof? Yeah, I think the roof was blue. I don't think they'd redecorated since 1963. And it was just a dark room. We had no music. So we had, we had canned music, had me leading music. Joy was in the hallway doing children's church with about two kids that were mine. No one else came. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, my, my parents stopped coming after three weeks. They left. And, uh, and so we, we quit. We, we stopped. Thank God I had heard John Osteen say something that helped me. He said, he said, if I know I miss God, he said, I can crawfish out of anything. You know, he's basically saying, don't keep nursing a mistake. And I just, I, I realized I'd missed it. I said, I, I missed it. And uh, so I backed out. We quit. Stayed a year and a half there. 
But when we made it back to Texas, we made it back with, with the idea that I wasn't going to do anything church-wise. Joy would say, I, I believe God wants us to have a church. And I'm like, you can talk to the hand here because I'm not listening to this. And she kept, she kept the faith. And I didn't because I was waiting for God to do something. Remember God said, I said before you today, life and death, blessing and cursing, choose life. We had to choose, but I'm not choosing. I'm waiting. God, if you want to do something in my life, you do it. Have you ever said that? Have you ever said, God, if you want to do something in my life, you just do it. And you're, we think we're waiting on God. He thought he's waiting on us a lot of the time. And I had to absolutely open up the idea that I am going to entertain the idea of starting a church again. I, I had failed and I did not want to do it, but I, I began to open up that idea. Maybe, God, you want me to start a church again. And when I began to entertain that idea, I realized I had a choice to make. I had a choice not to let my failure dictate my future. I'm going to say that again because I think it's going to make a great book title for somebody. Don't let your failure dictate your future. And so we made the choice. I said, we'll start. And what we started was the Ark Church in Conroe. We chose life. We chose... We chose to believe we're not done. Now let me give you some great, a great story in the Bible. I think one of the best resistance stories that's in the Bible. It's probably one of the most well-known stories in the Bible. I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version of it, but it's the story of David and Goliath. Most of us have heard that story. And, uh, it's a, but it is one of the best stories of resistance, and we see some choices that David made that helped David and then we're going to find out how we can make some of those very same choices in our life as well. Now, you, David, you know, was the, was the young man. He, he was one of eight brothers. And Saul was the king of Israel. And Samuel was sent to anoint a new king. When they would anoint, they would pour oil on the head of, of the individual. And it was symbolic of the Holy Spirit. But it was more than just symbolic. And this is something we don't talk about enough with David. David was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Look, let's look at the verse in 1 Samuel. Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Now listen, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon David. You can, we can't miss that, guys. Because sometimes what happens is we look at these people in the Bible and we go, these people are so amazing. They're so incredible, and I'm not. They're incredible, I'm not. And what we realize is, I don't believe David was so incredible until the Spirit of God came on him. So well, why in the world do you say that? Because his brothers even forgot he was there. If David was so amazing and so just awesome, when Samuel showed up and told Jesse, I'm going to anoint one of your, your boys to be king, they'd have said, oh, no, no, I'm going to save you some time, Samuel. It's David. Go get him. They forgot he even existed. So it's not like David was so amazing and stand out, but the Spirit of God came on him. That did two things. One, it empowered him, and number two, it gave him even a greater grasp that God was for him. And one thing about David, you've got to understand, he believed God really loved him, and he believed that God would really help him. Those are two good things to believe, that God loves us and will help us. So David goes down, this is after that, David goes down to see his, his brothers, and the Philistines and the, and the Israelites are fighting again. They always fought. Philistines were the thorn in their side just for years. So they're skirmishing, and they're having all these little skirmishes, and every day for 40 days, 
this giant called Goliath would stand up and he would mock them morning and evening. He would mock them. He'd talk trash about them, talk about their mamas, talk about everything. They're trying to get somebody to come fight him. And it was a winner take all. He said, if you guys win, we'll, we'll be your servants. We, if we win, you're our servants. And no one would fight him. He was huge. Now, Bible historians think he's anywhere between 7 to 10 feet tall. Now, people hear that and they go, oh, come on. No one's that tall. <clears throat> when you get home, or you at home, go ahead and Google Robert Wadlow. Robert Wadlow was born in Alton, Illinois. Robert Wadlow grew to the height of 8 feet 11 inches. It's verified. He weighed 490 pounds. He had a shoe size that was 37, he had a, a size 37 shoe. One cow per shoe. That was huge. That it was, he, he, was, he was a giant and he's verified. So let's say that, let's say Goliath is not 10 feet, 10 feet tall. Let's say anybody's book and he's threatening them and David hears it, and David says, Who, who's going who's gonna to fight this guy, this uncircumcised Philistine? He's talking trash. He's talking trash about God. And his words got back to the king. So they called Saul in. And Saul looked at David, and he goes, Kid, um, you're a nice kid, but you've got no business fighting this guy. He's been killing people since you were a baby. And you're just a young guy. And you're not very big. I mean, he's 8 feet 11. You're 5 feet 10. I made that up. But he, he's looking at him going, you, you can't do this. And David began to, David brought God into the situation. David said, you know, he said, there was a lion and a bear that came after my sheep, and I went and got him and I killed him. He said, look, look what he says next. You hear him bring God in. He said, your servant has killed both lion and bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine would be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. Moreover, David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, and the Lord be with you. Well, that was wisdom. Go, and the Lord be with you. But look what he did. He brought David. He said, the same God who helped me. Now, here's what David said. The God who helped me then is going to help me now. So he's bringing God into the situation, not just a past tense God. He's bringing a future tense God that God can help me now. So he did that. And then we see that David chose to always speak life. His words always had life in them. Because when he went out to face Goliath, Goliath was not intimidated by this five foot ten inch kid. He looked at, he looked at him and he disdained him. He went, I'm going to give your flesh to the birds. I'm, just come here. He said, I, I, I'm just going to kill you. It's not going to be. And he just, he talked, he talked trash to David. But I love what David said back to him. Because David's words, listen to the life in his words. Look what he says. David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you and take your head from you. And this day I will give the carcasses of the camp of the Philistines to the birds of the air and the wild beast of the earth, earth that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel and all this assembly shall know. But the Lord does not save with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Just reading that, you can get pumped up. You're just thinking, man, that's, that's such good words. He said, listen, David, his words, he never called Goliath a giant. In fact, he didn't use any superlative about Goliath. He said he's, 
He's an uncircumcised Philistine. He didn't say he's awesome. He's huge. He's a fighting, he's a killing machine. He just kept it real plain and simple. He's uncircumcised. That means he has no covenant with God. I have a covenant with God. He didn't have a covenant with God. So he never spoke of him in terms like this. And then when, when Goliath spoke to him, he spoke in terms that God would continue to help him. So he kept talking God helping him. God will deliver you into our hands. God will help you, help us with this. God is going to take you out. And he also brought in something I thought was really powerful. He, he talked about God being unlimited. God doesn't need sword. You got a sword, you got a spear. God does not need a sword and a spear to beat you. He does not need anything to beat you. Our God is superior. He's superior to all that, and our God can do something about that, and he doesn't need anything else. And this day, I'm going to give you and all your buddies to God. And the earth is going to know. Now, and, and, and you love that kind of talk. And then he said this, David never made this about himself. He chose to make this about God. He said, you're coming to me with a sword and a spear. I come to you in the name of the Lord. He said, I want the earth to know and all this assembly to know there's a God in Israel. David never said, I want everybody to know, brother, I can take a slingshot and smack you in the head with it. I am awesome. I'm an amazing fighter. He never said that. He said, I want people to know that it's God who gets the honor and it's God who gets the victory. And so his, his words were great. You know how the story ends. David had a slingshot, five-round capacity, put a stone in it, and, and he hit a... These, this is not this kind of slingshot. This was a... You would take it, and then you would let go one of it, and it would just... Man, and it hit him right in the middle of, of, of the forehead. And he went over on the ground. Goliath did. Now, people say, you know, did an angel put some oomph behind? I don't know. But the brother's down. And David takes his own... David pulls his sword out, Cuts his head off. Kind of a gory scene, but motivated all of Israel. He's holding up the head. They're like, that's great. Let's go. We, we win. And it, it, was a, it, was a wonder, it was a wonderful thing. Now, we read that story. And a lot of times, if you're not careful, you're going to treat it like a Grimm's fairy tale. But it's true. And so we look at it and go, okay, what can we do in our own life? What choices can we make? I don't want to just read a story and go, David's awesome. I want to read a story and go, hey, what about the challenges that I'm facing? What about the challenges that you're facing? We want to be able to take some of those same choices and deal the same way. So here's the first one. You have to believe that you're empowered. You have to believe that you're not just weak and helpless, that you're empowered. So, Alan, I don't, I don't feel empowered. Forget how you feel. Look what the scriptures say. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Guys, at some point in time, we have to believe I've got power and love and a sound mind. Stop checking how you feel. Feelings can lie to you. You know that. Feelings aren't always the highest standard of truth. In fact, they're rarely ever the highest standard of truth. You don't feel like being nice to your boss some days, but you're nice anyway because you like keeping your job. Feelings are not reality. God's word is reality. And so we begin to believe I'm not weak. I'm not ineffective. I have a spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. And just believing that will help you when it comes to resisting. Because the enemy will say, you can't do that. 
You're a young Christian. You don't know anything. You can't even quote five Bible verses. If you can quote that one, you know, no, I've got a spirit of power and love and of a sound mind, and I can do something about this situation. For years, in, in the early part of, of the 1900s, sports uh, doctors and everyone thought that no one could run a sub-four-minute uh, minute mile. No one could do it. They said if you, if the human body cannot run a mile in under four minutes, it, it would cause them to, they would cause their whole body to break down. And, and so for, no one did it. Until 1954, a young British medical student by the name of Roger Bannister ran a, mi a, a mile in three minutes, 59 point something seconds. He beat that, that barrier. He didn't die. He lived. And you know what happened is, within two months, someone else did it. And then soon, five other people did it. By the time the 70s had shown up, over 300 runners had run a sub-four-minute mile. Well, what was it that did it? Well, it was one, is that barrier came down that said they couldn't. The barrier that said it's impossible. So what, what, what am I saying to you? Listen, when the barrier comes down that you're always going to be weak, that you're always going to be ineffective, that you're, all, that you're never going to be able to do it, and you begin to believe, thank God, I've been empowered by the Spirit of God. I can resist. I can stand. I can believe. I can see God move in my family and change things. I can stand. When you, when you believe that, and you start getting on your way, that's the first one. The second one is, do like David, choose to bring God into your situation. Choose to bring him in. So how do I bring him in? One thing I've got to ask, where has God helped you in the past? So now, invariably, someone will look at me and go, Alan, God hasn't helped me. <laughs> Time out, Sparky, because you don't want to go there. Because if you've made Jesus your Lord, then you've been gloriously born again. You've become a new creation. You're God's child. And you and I did nothing to earn that. We just simply received Jesus as Lord. And by the way, if you've never done that, we'll give you a chance to do it at the end of the service. But the bottom line is this. If you have received salvation, God has helped you in the biggest way he's ever going to help you. You have been helped. But has he helped you there? Then he can help you in the future. Has he ever intervened in a big, hairy problem that you've had? Because if he's ever jumped into the middle of a big, hairy problem and you're saying later on, man, if it hadn't been for God, I would have never been there. I, there's those of us. Now I can ask for a show of hands because when you're online, I can't do it. How many of you ever said God has helped me and sometime he has helped me get out of a problem? He has done something in my life. If he's done it then, then here's the key. If he's helped me then, maybe he's just brought you peace in a storm. But if he's helped you then, the, the, here's how we bring him in and he'll help us again. And he can do it again. There's people he's gotten jobs for that you thought, there's no way I could have ever gotten a job. If he got you a job before, he can get you a job again. If he helped your family before, he can help your family again. If he's provided for you before, he can do it again. And we choose to believe that. We just had a situation with one of our grandchildren. And when I went to the Lord, I, I went confident going, Lord, you've helped us with this grandchild. I won't tell you what number, but you've helped us with this numbered grandchild. I believe you can help us with this one. I'm going to bring you into the situation. Third thing, do like David and speak words that have life in them. Uh, Alan, words are no words. Words are words. No, 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 no. The Bible said death and life are in the power of the tongue. There's life there. And it's so easy to speak negative. Do you realize anybody can speak negative? And, and, and we're surrounded by negative. 
You want to hear a confession about me? I'll tell you anyway. Yesterday, I walked into a UPS store. I had to send something back. And you know what? Yeah, I had to scan something. And one thing I've noticed about these masks, if you're wearing a mask, nobody recognizes you, including Siri. He might have noticed that. <laughs> so I'm looking at it. Finally, I take the mask off, and I said to the girl behind the counter, I said, I said, these masks, they don't recognize me with the mask. And this little girl, she was so sweet. Had big smiling eyes. She said, yeah, well. She said, what can you say? Got to wear them. She said, good to be alive. I'm like, wait, I'm the pastor here. I'm the one that needs to. I'm the one that needs to be speaking positive. It's so easy to speak negative. It's just so easy to go there. Listen, we, we, don't, want to, we don't want to go there. But if you find that your words are negative, then you need to change the fuel that's feeding your words. First John 4, John was speaking to, uh, he's writing to the church. He said, I've written to you young men because you're strong and the word of God abides in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Now this is great. He said, I'm not writing to you seasoned saints. He said, I'm writing to you young men. He said, you're strong and God's word is living in you and you've overcome the wicked one. Smartest thing to do is agree with that. But here's the thing. You've got to have God's word living in you. Now, I'm going to make some real friends right here. If the only thing living in you is the news and social media, it's going to be hard for you to speak words that have life in them. But if you can take God's word and, and put it in your heart, it's a lot easier to have life come out. And then you can begin to agree with God that I'm strong and his word's living in me and I've overcome the wicked one. You know, one of the most powerful choices that you'll ever make in life is to choose to agree with what God says about you. When you agree with what he says, and he says a lot, when you, when you agree that you're a new creation, when you agree that all things are possible to you because you're a believer, when you agree that you're empowered, when you agree that God will help you, when you agree with that, that's a powerful choice. It changes things. Parenting tip. You parents out there raising kids, your kids will come in and, and they'll say things to you and they'll talk and and, and if you're listening to them, you're going to hear things in their words. You'll hear fear in their words. You'll, you'll hear poor self-esteem in their words. As a parent, one of the best things you can do is help your kids change their words. Don't let them just constantly come in and speak fear. Don't let them speak they can't. Don't let them speak defeat. Because there's, there's life. There's, that can be life in your kids' words. And here's, my, here's my, my thing. You wouldn't let someone else say about your kids what they say. If you went and met with the, with the teacher and the teacher looked at you and said, I'll tell you something, your child is, <laughs> your child's a waste of air conditioning. Um, boy, they're, they're pretty dull. I don't think they're ever going to be learn, learn much. No one likes them and they don't have a future. Now, if you're sitting across, it's like, oh, I, I better be on a Zoom call with you. How many of you parents know that if you're sitting across from someone and they tell you that about your child, are you going to sit there and go, yeah, yeah, that's probably the truth. No. You're going to rise up and go, no. My child, God has his hand on my child. God has a plan for my child. My child has a bright future. There's good things in this child. Don't you ever say that about my child again. As a good parent, that's what we're going to say. 
So when your child comes in and goes, I'm stupid and I can't learn and no one likes me, you didn't look at them and go, no, no, I don't ever want to hear those words come out of your mouth again. What I want to hear you say is, God has helped you. He's empowered you. He's got a great plan for your life. Parents, help your kids speak words that have life in them. It'll be a blessing to them. It's a great choice. Last choice is this. Choose to make life bigger than just about you. Now, this goes back to purpose. I realize we think about us and it's about us all the time. Do you realize we talked about purpose a few weeks ago? Our purpose is that we would walk in a manner worthy of God, that we would bring honor to him. And so when you win, listen, when you overcome, when you deal with things, when your marriage makes it, it's an inspiration to other people. When you're able to have your family situation work out, it inspires other people. When you do well, it's a great testimony. So it's not just about you. It's glorifying our Heavenly Father. One story, no close. Jay, Jay Spites, I believe that's how you pronounce his name, is a young man who, who had always wanted to know about his African heritage. And so he took a DNA test. And uh, DNA tests can reveal interesting stuff. Well, they revealed that Jay Spites was actually royalty. That he was a prince. And when you looked it up, sure enough, I mean, they, they did the background... He was a prince. Jay Spites grew up in New Jersey, lives in an apartment, doesn't even have a car. But he called up and, and, and found his royal heritage, and he flew over to the small little West African country of Benin, B-E-N-I-N. When he arrived there, the entourage met him. As they're riding into town, it looked like a festival going on. There are people dancing and singing. And it finally dawned on him, this isn't a festival. They're welcoming me. And they had banners up to Prince Jay, and they crowned him as the prince. What I thought was interesting was, because Jay Spites had been raised in New Jersey, they knew he didn't know how to act like a prince. So they sent him to prince school. Because if you're a prince, you can't just act any way you want your royalty. And so they sent him to prince school, and, and they taught him how to act and, and how to respond how to act like a prince. When I read that, I thought, oh yeah, I get it. Church is, church is a lot of things, but can I tell you what church is? Church is prince school and princess school. Because if you belong to God, you're a child of the royal, you're a child of the king. You are royalty. And so when, when, you come, when you come in here, you're not just going to church, you're learning how to act like a prince, how to talk like a prince, how to resist like a prince. How to live like a prince. Because that's what you are. The Bible said you're a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. His own special people. And you have what it takes to resist your royalty. Would you bow your head with me for a moment? We're going to say a prayer in just a moment. For those of you who are watching online, if you've never made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, if you'd like to do that, this prayer is for you. Or maybe you're like I was, I'd gotten away from God. And I realized I wanted to come back. If you're here in the auditorium, I am going to ask you that question. If you know in your heart, you say, you know what, I'm not sure where I stand with God, but I want to be. This prayer is for you here as well. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed, and no one's looking around. If that's you this morning, you say, you know what, I, I, I want to be sure, or, or you know what, I've been away from God and I want to come back. Would you pray for me? Would you slip your hand up real quickly across the auditorium? Thank you. Thanks. Anybody else? Say, say, Alan, ask me. Would you pray for me? 
Put your hands down, we're gonna pray. Those of you who are listening and watching online, if you're by yourself, you can pray this out loud. If you're, if you're with other folks, you can pray it quietly to yourself. I'm gonna ask everyone here to pray this prayer with us. It's a powerful prayer. It's a choice to make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life. Say, dear God, I know mankind needs a Savior. I know I can't save myself. Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. And God raised you from the dead. Right now, I confess you as my Lord, as my Savior, as the one who forgives me and restores me. Thank you, Jesus. My past is forgiven. I have a relationship with you. I'm a new creation in Christ because I've said yes to you. Now, heads are still bowed and eyes are closed. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for those in here and those online who prayed that prayer. For those who've come home and those who've come back. Father, we thank you for the wonderful plan that you have and for the rest of us. Father, those who've been walking with you, those who know you, those who love you, thank you for enlightening us. Thank you for strengthening us. Thank you that we do have everything that it takes to resist and to follow you and live for you in a way that honors and glorifies you. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.